Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to the service of the Auckland Unitarian Church. Welcome to our Zoom people. Um, we sometimes forget that you're there unless you talk, but the half a dozen, I think, were there a minute ago. Glad to have you with us today. Welcome to our in-church congregation and uh, welcome to our leaders. Um, today, Paul, as usual, is on the in-church technician. Ted Zorn is um, being our Zoom host. He's also here in the church as well. And we've got a, a, a visiting talent from the United States, believe it or not. Sally Nadell, you saw her just a minute ago. Uh, one of our regular members um, is now out of Auckland. And right now she's in the US. But we've still got three of her songs on our service sheet. So um, she's with us electronically. She also knows um, that we're playing her songs and send her, her greetings today. Also, let's remember those who cannot come and are still uh, caring about what we are doing here today. But there are times when life really gets on top of us. And the particular case is um, about my doctor giving me bad news. And a couple of days ago, I heard about a friend who was 80 years old, and he said he had aged more in the past year than the previous 10 years. He had had a heart attack and prostate problems in the same year. Well, I had a similar experience about a month ago. I went to my GP for a routine checkup, but I took with me a longer list of questions than usual, five of them, and my GP raised another two. So I had a heck of an agenda for her that day. Two of these were old issues up to eight years ago, but I had got so used to them, I didn't bother reporting them to my GP any longer. And the doctor shocked me by giving me not one, but two serious opinions in two days. The first was during the interview itself. She gave me an eye test and said, you should not be driving. You are a danger to yourself and others. And the next shock was the following day when the blood test results came in. And she said they showed I had a serious heart problem. She tried to text me this result uh, at home that day, but I didn't see the texts. And then she phoned me at eight o'clock that night, getting rather frantic to get hold of me. And she said she had made an appointment for me at Auckland Hospital Emergency Clinic that night. I must go there right away and asked to see the doc officer in charge. So Marion called an ambulance, I packed a, uh, a bag, and off we went. But I didn't follow my GP's advice. One way to deal with a crisis is simple, follow your doctor's advice. I recall Ted preaching on that subject a few weeks ago. We need simplicity. But in this case, I'm talking uh, about a different situation in the case where I did not follow my doctor's advice. Why not? Well, I had already been to my to hospital with heart conditions four times in the past 15 years, but most of them were very minor. In three occasions, I was discharged on the same day, like two of them I had a stent put in, an operation you could watch on screen, you're not unconscious, you get up and you're fine. One case, I did have a heart attack, but it was a minor one. I was back in action a month later. 
But the reason this topic came up at all was that one of the things I reported to my doctor was that I had heart twinges that were so small that I didn't raise them at the time that I thought I should tell her. I just had a, a, a feeling around here, around my heart, feeling of uh, tension, not pain, and, and it happened on and off for a week or two. So I reported this to her. That was what got her um, taking me seriously, taking this, and saying I had to go, she gave the um, blood test. When she got the test, it was a bad test, showed I had possibly had a heart attack, but I did not feel concerned myself. I'd been there before. So I was not the one panicking at that stage with my doctor. The hospital put me in bed, monitored my heart overnight. About two o'clock, they woke me up and said my heart condition had hardly changed since I was there three years ago. So they were not very worried at that stage, but they took me for a chest X-ray just in case and said they would assess all this in the morning. Well, in the morning, they took me off the monitor at seven o'clock and wait, and they said, wait for the doctor. And I thought taking the monitor off means they think I'm no longer in any danger. So I started, this was at breakfast time, I started to feel quite chirpy. Uh, and I waited and waited. And about 11 o'clock, I got tired of waiting and I asked the ward nurse, why couldn't I go home if there's nothing wrong with me? So she got the doctor who had been on a busy round and had put me on the bottom of the schedule because I was leaving, I think. He apologized for overlooking me. He asked me three questions. He said, when did you have these heart twinges? I said, one or two months ago. He said, well, there's no, nothing to worry about now then. And then he told me about the blood test. It showed I had a high level of troponin, which is a, um, a, a protein that your heart sort of leaks into your bloodstream if you have a heart attack, but can also leak into your bloodstream from other causes, so it's not necessarily a pain. And in my case, the uh, hospital doctor looked at my record, found I had a previous um, situation and said, why am I worried about it? Then he asked me about the marathon training I had been doing. I said, I've done a six kilometer run the day before. And he said, were you breathing heavily afterwards? And I said, no. <laughs> and he said, well, uh, no way is someone who can run um, for, for 6K uh, and not be, uh, um, be heading for a heart attack. You should not have been sent here. That was, <laughs> that was the, the final conclusion. And then I asked them why they didn't release me at 2.30 that morning um, when they worked me out for a chest X-ray. He said they, were, they had um, found no sign of heart, heart damage, but they were just looking for some other interpretation, and they didn't find one. So my discharge report said trypanemia of no known cause. Trypanemia is the um, what my heart was giving off. But I'd already came to a similar conclusion before I got there. So I was a little annoyed with my doctor for pulling, um, pulling the panic button. But while I was waiting in hospital for the doctor, I had a nice breakfast, and then that started me uh, thinking about another problem. Why did my doctor want to bar me from getting a driving license? That actually bugged me more than the heart, because I'd already thought through the issues of a heart attack. But my GP based that conclusion on an eye test that she gave me at the checkup. And the only reason she gave me an eye test in the first place is that I told her about a bad experience I had a couple of weeks before. 
I was picking my sister up at the airport about 7 p.m. It got dark while I was waiting for her. And as I was driving home with her, it started raining and I couldn't see the road very well. When I came out of the Point Chevalier Tunnel, uh, there's a very slick road surface there. I just could not see the road and it was scary. So I drove slowly, I was on the motorway, I drove slowly and got home okay. So I decided my eyes were not good enough to drive at night, especially on a motorway. But I didn't need my GP to tell me that. I'd come to that conclusion myself. And another reason I was not worried about my eyes, I'd already been to an eye expert at Grenade Medical Center only a month before. And they did a test on my eyes and they found they were um, not great. I, um, I was okay, but only just, um, but it was stable. So they were not worried about my eyes. So frankly, I got pissed off when my doctor wanted to ban me from driving. I also had a second opinion that my eyes were not too bad from my optometrist. They had prescribed me new glasses, which I received only a couple of weeks before. And these are driving glasses. So why would they sell me driving glasses if I was not fit to drive? <laughs> so I thought I'm going to get another opinion. <laughs> and in the hospital, I looked up and tried to find out who can, um, who can give eye tests for driving licenses. I found that the hospital cannot. Um, the AA can, and there are probably other doctors who can do ideas, and also optometrists can do it. So um, I had a plan in mind that I'm going to go to my optometrist and get him to check my eyes again. But adding to my horror, while I was still in hospital, I checked my driving license and found it had expired over a year ago. I was then 82 years old when you have to get another driving test and I'd forgotten. So what I feared was already true. It was already illegal for me to drive. <laughs> so I phoned NZSTA and found out um, that I didn't have to go back to square one and do my beginner's driving test again, just as well. I've forgotten everything I ever read about the, the road code, but I just, all I had to do was apply for renewal. And I couldn't just get the optometrist to write a port, the doctor, but also have to certify other aspects of my health. So my hope started to lift. I thought, I'm gonna go back to that same optometrist who provided my new glasses and get them to give me a driving test, which they did. It is slightly different from the doctor's test because they look at your peripheral vision and the doctor or only they give me an eye chart. They don't, um, don't worry about what your peripheral vision is like. And I had a third and um, pleasant experience over these issues. Um, I hate to say it, but my uh, wife uh, is not overly sympathetic when I ask for her to give me a ride. Am I going to spend the rest of my life uh, waiting to go anywhere um, for a vacancy in my wife's um, timetable? So I checked and found out you don't actually need a license um, to ride an e-scooter unless it's more powerful than 300 watts. So um, that was my backup plan. <laughs> Life suddenly looked better than it did before. The next day I went to the optometrist and suddenly it became enjoyable. The optometrist started with the peripheral eye test and even that made me laugh because I knew there was nothing wrong with my peripheral vision. Um, I can always see cars uh, overtaking me and um, the only problem I have with my eyes is my central vision and it's that which is marginal. Anyway, after the optometrist had finished, I said, well, I appreciate that my 
uh, night version is not up to scratch. You didn't ask me about that. You said, no, would you want a restricted license? <laughs> and I said, did a double take? I said, no, I already know how to be careful. I don't need 2020 vision to know that I have not got 2020 vision. <laughs> but the next step was another tricky one. I would need to get my form signed by a GP because the form asks the GP about a number of issues quite apart from your eyesight. For instance, if you are on certain drugs, you should not drive. I wondered um, when my uh, evil uh, GP got to give me a second test whether she would bring in something like that and still ban me. <laughs> so I booked an appointment with a different doctor. <laughs> but the bad news continued. I booked to see another doctor at my usual medical center. But when I showed up at the center, the receptionist said, we booked you with the usual doctor. She's got a free, uh, free slot after all. I said, no, I want a second opinion. So I got one. And as I was going to the uh, other doctor's room, my old doctor saw me in the corridor <laughs> on the way. Hi, doctor. I'm just going to see somebody else. <laughs> the next look was easy. The other GP was sympathetic. I seemed to do better at the ITS even. And he, he, he still said I shouldn't be driving at night. But he wondered why I hadn't read, read my, I wondered why he hadn't read my doctor's, uh, my main doctor's eye test. Well, he said he had looked at all the eye tests for the past year. And the optometrist one was the most recent. So he was going by that. So I passed the test. But fate had one more twist <laughs> in the night of the night for me. The nearest place to get a license was at the AA at Albert Street in Central Auckland. And I knew there were lots of roads blocked on Albert Street because of the new railway tunnel. And I got lost. I finally, um, after wandering around several blocks, I could see the AA across the road from where I was standing. Cars were driving past it, but they had a, um, a paddock warden on, on duty. And I said, can I walk across the AA? The AA that's where I'm going. He said, no, you can't. <laughs> You've got to go back the other way, around that way, basically do a six block detour to get across the road. And I got lost in the six, uh, the six block detour. But anyway, I finally got there and um, it was um, not too bad. But even there, I was still a bundle of nerves looking for something to go wrong. There were only about six people in front of the queue, but it took me an hour. The person taking my details was nice, but halfway through she passed the uh, sheet to a second person the badge that said trainee. I thought I'm, he's going to get something wrong and I have to come back and do it again another day. But he got it right and wrote me a temporary license right away. So my um, hassles looked like they're almost over. Next day I was feeling bright and I did some rethinking. First I thought, will I show my disgust for my doctor's errors by switching to the other doctor who passed me? I thought, no, to be fair to her. The reason she had so many recommendations was because I raised so many issues. In fact, she was still working on two of them. It just dawned on me, I, um, I'd been looking at so many problems. One of them was a prostate operation that I had about six years ago. I, it was canceled because I had a bad reaction to the anesthetic and I'd forgotten about it. So I asked her, could I still get that operation? She said, yes, it was always possible. I had also a minor bowel problem that I thought was uncurable. He said, that's not incurable, uh, and gave me a blood 
test to check the odds on that one. And I still hadn't heard her answers. So I thought it'd be really mean and petty to ask another doctor to do those two things that she was already agreeing to help me with. And I thought another thing, she'd in fact taken three quarters of an hour for that initial examination. It usually is only a quarter of an hour. So she had gone way um, over the, what I had a right to expect of her. She was a hero. She investigated all those uh, problems and was still investigating them. And the very next day, I got a letter from Auckland Hospital saying my GP had recommended me for an operation and they were booking me for a preliminary test. And I thought, amazing, you amazing GP. Thank you for your intention to all those details. The letter from the hospital didn't say what kind of operation I'd been booked for. <laughs> a strange omission. Um, but I was more philosophical by, by then. I figured it was either a prostate operation or one for my bowels. So I thought, well, I might still wet myself occasionally. I might still occasionally poo my pants, but at least they wouldn't have them both happening at the same time. <laughs> I might even get my second wish operation a few months later. So I was in octogenarian heaven. <laughs> so why do I tell you all this? Well, all of us have different medical issues to tell. But I passed my story along because I'm 83 years old and at that age, the medical issues are happening more frequently. And that can be stressful, that can damage your self-esteem. But you don't have to be elderly to have that problem. Disabled people have it all the time. Teenagers have better odds, but they are not immune either. All of us face unsympathetic friends who, uh, who don't help us when we're down. But there are also many other helpers, including counsellors, who help us through the low esteem. Many of us are lucky to have good listeners among our friends, or a church like this one, which listens to our joys and concerns. So summing up, summing up the three messages I took from this, and maybe they will be helpful for you. I was talking about all this with my wife, Marion, and she said, where is the good news in this? To count your blessings? I said, yes, that was the answer in my case. But I said at other times, there will not be a good future. And you may just need resilience. Or at 83, you may say, I have had a good life and I'm ready to go. The Christian apostle Paul had a very black few years of his life, in the last years of his life, under house arrest in Rome. And his lifeline was writing letters to his fellow church members. Some of these letters are now in our Bible. Letters to the Corinthians, the Ephesians, the Thessalonians. These were his support team, and he was writing letters to them. And in one of those letters, he said, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And from now on, there is reserved for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. Well, I'm starting to feel a little the same. I don't believe in the crown of righteousness, but I find the other three are encouraging. There are ways of facing and coping with even the words that you are about to die. So resilience is the second message I took from that experience. The third lesson is helpful friends and experts. The fourth lesson is uh, healing your past. This was a surprise in the whole episode for me. Many of our worst troubles are in our minds. 
and they come from the same past, uh, our bad things that happened in our past. Maybe our childhood, we were the unfavored member of the family. Various things can happen and affect this many, many years later. And this is where psychology can help. It can heal those bad memories and reconcile us to other people. My most recent case of that kind of insight was that not from a psychologist, it was from my own reassessment. My I rethought, reinterpreted the things that had happened, and that helped. That was the biggest help. Realizing that my own doctor was not a bad person, but that was part of getting a bigger picture. So the big picture can help. So my four new lessons are. One, count your blessings. Two, learn resilience when the blessings run out. Three, that friends can damage your self-esteem, but other friends can restore it. And four, you yourself can repair past grievances and errors. Maybe you'll need expert help, but you can do it. Those skills are very useful at my age, especially at 80 plus, when your problems are coming two at a time. So. Um, I'd like to ask, and I'll list now the suggested uh, discussion questions. Let me find them. Uh, what are some of the toughest blows to your self-esteem? And what can we do to help ourselves through? Well, time for our breakouts. And um, I'll repeat the questions for those who um, might not have written them down. What are some of the toughest blows to our self-esteem? What can we do to help ourselves through? 